We are carrying on in Acts this morning, church, and I hope, my prayer this morning, is that you are as encouraged um, in hearing this word and this sermon as I was in um, studying this text this week. It's about encouragement, and, uh, and so I just was so encouraged as I reflected on the nature of our God as a God who encourages. So we're in Acts chapter 11. We've just finished four sermons in a row on a long story about how God has opened up the door um, of the gospel to the Gentile world through Cornelius and his family. And this is what transpires next, or what Luke records next, uh, beginning at verse 19, and we'll read through verse 30. What page is that on, Vic? It's on page 1710. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, that takes us back about four or five chapters, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. So these are Jews sharing with Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, or Paul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through or by the Spirit, predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. The word of God. That's where you say, thanks be to God, really loud. Because we're just so thankful that we've got his word. Right, good. So you don't have to whisper it. I know some of you like to say it. If you're not familiar, that comes out of a more liturgical tradition where um, where people actually regularly, there's kind of a, a reader response tradition in some churches. And, and, uh, and so some people, it's just normal to say the word of God and then thanks be to God. And so we're kind of a hodgepodge of many traditions here. And uh, we like to remember that this is, 
no um, human word, but it's God's word, and we want to praise him for it. So we say that after sermons, and if you want to say thanks be to God, just join right in and say it real loud. So, yeah, thanks be to God. Okay, so Anne shared with me a story recently that I want to tell you about a middle schooler called uh, Justin Rigsby. And the story was relayed by a mother of another middle schooler who's in this in the same or on the same swim team as Justin Rigsby. And the story goes that this middle school had had their swim team for the first year and they were on so it's a brand new swim team. They're all excited and they're on their way to their first meet and they're they've got a three hour bus ride and this mother says the bus was just like electric with energy. I mean everybody is enthusiastic and excited and they've trained and they're talking about winning the match and they show up and they get off the bus and they see this group of people waiting for them that look like, in their words, chiseled Greek gods. And we felt like minnows beside them. And Coach Huey pulled out his schedule and said, are we in the right place at the right time? <laughs> like, are we competing against them? And the answer was yes. It wasn't a mistake. And so the races began and the races were lost and the races continued and the races were lost. And that somewhere just before the midpoint, Coach Huey realized he didn't have anybody lined up to, to swim the 500 meter freestyle. So he said to his team, Hey team, there's nobody signed up. Anybody want to volunteer to race against these guys in the 500 meter free? And uh, a few hands shot up and among them was Justin Rigsby. And Coach Huey looks at him and he says, uh, Justin, I'm not sure if you're aware, but 500 meters is 20 laps of the pool. And um, I've only seen you do eight in practice. And Justin says, I, I, I can do it, coach. I'll, let me try it. And, and so the coach, knowing that like trying is what builds character, says, okay, Justin, you can do it. So the race begins, and um, the Greek god-like figures on the other team are off like torpedoes, and they're done. All, all The whole team's done in four minutes and 30 seconds. And uh, Hugh, Coach Huey's team <laughs> is not done. They're not halfway. In fact... They aren't done till about the eight-minute mark, and uh, the last of them come struggling in except Justin. And here's Justin out in the middle of the pool, not anywhere near his last lap, slapping the water one breath at a time. And, and they said, we were never quite sure if he was going to come up for the next one as he labored forward. And it just got real kind of painful and awkward to watch, and you could feel the parents going like... How long is this going to last? And then finally, Coach Huey got up and he walked over to Justin beside the pool and he bent down beside him. Justin was in the side lane and you could feel this collective sigh of relief as all the parents are like, oh, good, put him out of his misery, put us out like he's going to get him out of the pool. And Coach bends down and he talks to Justin for a second and then he stands back up and he walks away and Justin keeps on swimming. And when it became apparent to one of his teammates that he wasn't going to get out of the water, that teammate walked over to the side of the pool and he started walking beside Justin. Come on, Justin, you can do it. Justin, keep swimming. Let's go. Come on, Justin. And as the team saw that one teammate walking up beside Justin, the whole team, his whole team started to cheer. Come on, Justin. You can do it, Justin. Swim, buddy. Come on. And when that team started cheering, the opposing team got up and started going, Justin, 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 until finally... At the 12 minute and some mark, Justin touched the wall 
to a standing ovation. Timely encouragement. Where somebody comes up real close to us. When we're struggling, we're slapping the water, we're under pressure. And they say, you can do this. We're with you. The Lord is with you. I believe in you. Timely encouragement like that, just a little bit of it, is like water, ice cold water to the soul on a dry, hot day. It goes so far. Timely encouragement when we're struggling, when we're under pressure, when we're running the race of this life and not just the race of this life, the race of following Jesus Christ faithfully through this life. You know, the Apostle Paul says on multiple occasions that following Christ, it's like a race. We're trying to get to an end point. We're trying to be faithful. And he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let's run with perseverance. Let's keep going. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. But it's this piece about a great cloud of witnesses. The encouragers. And don't you know it? There are so many times where we need encouragement. It might, be a, it might be an hour. It might be a week. It might be a month. But we just come under pressure. So maybe it's financial pressure. That just is sustained for a long time. And we don't know how the bills are going to be paid. We just can't say it. We don't know how we're going to pay for that furnace or where the rent for the apartment's going to come from. Or maybe it's relational pressure. A difficult relationship in the family. Maybe it's a strained marriage. And it's just pressure on us. On and on and on. Maybe it's a strained relationship with a child or a parent. Maybe it's a situation at work that's just really difficult. And we don't want to be in it any longer. And it's getting us down and down and down. Maybe it's something at school. Maybe it's pressure that we come under to be like other people. Or pressure to be like the world. Or pressure because people don't understand why we're different. Or why we don't speak a certain way. Or why we won't steal or lie. Or why won't why we won't sleep around. Whatever it is. There's pressure that we come under. As we just, just, just being in this world, there's certain days, there's certain seasons that are hard. They're difficult. It's hard to keep our head up. And we need encouragement. We need that water, not for the body, but to the soul that would lift us up, that would say, you can do this. You can do this and you're not alone. And I just want to submit to you that that's where we meet these early Christians in the text in Antioch this morning, because Luke tells us that the Jews brought the gospel to the Jews, but then some Jews from Cyprus went to Antioch where there were Jews, but the Jews from Cyprus shared the gospel with some Gentiles. And all of a sudden we got a new church of Gentiles in Antioch. Well, where's Antioch? And what about it? There's a lot of Antiochs. You might not know this, but there was a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a very mean man that captured a lot of places and every city was named after him. They're all Antioch. So which one is this? 
This is the largest one, and it's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It's 300,000 people big, and it's not very friendly to Christianity or these new Christians. It's sort of a cosmopolitan collection of all kinds of uh, philosophies and gods and religions, and you can you can believe many of them, but don't you dare say there's only one way, and he's a man named Jesus that died and was raised from the dead. Because that'll get you called crazy and kicked out of your family and killed. And that'll get you under pressure. And so we got a group of young Christians that don't have any leaders. They were converted by some traveling Jews. And they're under pressure. They've got this new hope, this new joy. They've experienced something. They've received the Holy Spirit. But they don't have anybody nurturing them. And and then we've got... A God and Father who's looking on these children like we look on our children with love. And we want our children to be encouraged and strong. We want our children to know they're loved. We want to help our children. And Paul calls our God and Father in 2 Thessalonians 2.16. You got to mark this one. It's one of the best scripture verses. He calls him the God of eternal encouragement and good hope. There is so much packed in those two words, eternal encouragement. We have a God and Father who never ceases. Think of a ring and the way it goes in a circle unceasingly. Who never ceases to want to encourage every one of his children every moment. That's the will. That's the heart. That's the desire of our God and Father. And so how does that encouragement come to us? Because do you all live feeling encouraged every moment? No. We come under pressure and we struggle under pressure and we need encouragement. So how does that encouragement come? Well, it comes in a few different ways. I was thinking to myself this morning as we were singing that song about he walks on the water, he speaks to the sea, he is stands by my side in the fire. I was thinking, these words might not mean anything to you if you don't know the Bible. If you don't know a God who spoke to a sea and it parted, if you don't know a God who stood besides people in a fire, those would just be nice words. That wouldn't mean a whole lot to you. But when you know God through Scripture, then He can bring encouragement to you because He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Now, that still needs to get connected to your situation, but I just want us to hear the Word of God is where that encouragement starts, okay? But how does that Word of God get connected? How does the Father use the Word and bring the encouragement? What's the answer? It's people. It's people. It's people. So the Father is looking on his children in Antioch, and they need encouragement. They're a bunch of young Christians. They don't have the Bible. All they know is they just got really good news and a really good experience to go with that good news. No teachers, no Bible, lots of pressure. And so God moves, the Holy Spirit moves on the hearts of the Jerusalem leaders and they send Barnabas to go to them. Now we've heard of Barnabas multiple times in our Acts journey by now. His name should be familiar, but we haven't 
said a whole lot about Barnabas. So I want to just pause here for a minute because there's something extraordinary about God for us to notice in Barnabas. Okay. In Acts 4, we um, read this story about Ananias and Sapphira coming forward and lying to the Holy Spirit and boom, dead. And um, we really focused on what was happening there and why would the Lord do that. We didn't pay so much attention to what the text said about Barnabas. What the text said about Barnabas was in Acts 4 that a whole bunch of people brought gifts and laid them at the apostles' feet. And one of them, it highlighted Barnabas, brought his gift and uh, sold some property and brought his gift and laid it at, at his feet. And then the text says his name actually wasn't Barnabas. His name's Joseph or Joseph. But the apostles named him Barnabas. They nicknamed him, which means son of encouragement. Bar-Nabas is Hebrew, and it literally translates Bar is son of, like Bartholomew, Bartimaeus. There's a lot of them in scripture, right? Bar is son of. Nabas is one who prophesies. Son of one who prophesies. Now, why would they then say, which means son of encouragement? Well, when you listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians, teaching the church, he says to them there, he's, he's teaching them about the various gifts and the ways the Holy Spirit works. He says, if somebody speaks in a tongue, that means a heavenly language, a prayer language, he or she does so to edify themselves. So if you pray in tongues, you get built up. You might not understand it with your mind, but you're built up. The Holy Spirit builds you up with heavenly language. But, Paul says, the one who prophesies does so to strengthen, encourage, and comfort people. So here's your back pocket guide to what the gift of prophecy is. It's not foretelling primarily or foretelling the future. It's speaking to people with something from God to strengthen them, encourage them and comfort them. It's that simple. I see a need. I see Kevin struggling with something. I say, Lord, what in your word would bring encouragement to him? I know his situation. I go, what in your word would bring encouragement? I say, Kevin, I've been praying for you. And the Lord gave me this scripture. Can we read it together? We read it. I say, is the Lord saying anything to you through it? He says, yeah. I say, well, that's great. What are you hearing? He tells me. And I say to him, this is my sense. I really sense that the way you're stuck here, kind of the same way that Israel was stuck in this spot. And here's what the Lord did. And I sense the Lord saying to you, he's going to do the same thing in your life as you wait on him. See that? That's prophecy. He goes, yeah, that is our God. He will do that. I will wait on him. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. That's prophecy. When you speak to somebody with something from the Lord, whether they, he impresses it on your mind or your heart, or it comes from scripture or both together, and somebody gets strengthened, you can see strength come in, someone gets encouraged, and they get comforted. So in other words, I can do this, Christ helping me, and I'm not alone. Bar Nabas. So son of prophecy or one who prophesies, but then they say, this is so good which means son of encouragement, and they trans, Luke translates from the Hebrew to the Greek, and the Greek says, huios paraklesis, son of... Anybody know what paraklesis comes from? Paraclete, if I say that, anybody? 
It's the word Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit. When he says, I will not leave you alone, but I will send you a comforter. And so the apostles are saying to this man, Barnabas, they're giving him the highest honor that they could ever think of giving. They're saying, you're like a son of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you bear the resemblance of the Spirit of God. You carry with you such comfort, such encouragement, that you to us look like God, the Spirit of God. In other words, they're saying, what comes, what manifests through you, Barnabas? What you bring to people builds them up just by being around you. This is the person that the Jerusalem church sends to Antioch. And I say, that's generous. Because if we have him or her in this church, I don't know if I want to send them. But they send Barnabas. And here's what Antioch gets from Barnabas. Barnabas shows up. We'll just look at this encouragement really quickly. He shows up and Luke says, when he sees the grace of God, He's glad and he encourages them to stay true to the Lord with all their heart. Now, I want to submit to you that I think he did not only see the grace of God. When I read Paul's letters to the churches, I see a lot of messes. And I think it's normal because babies make messes that we clean up and so do baby Christians. And we got to expect that. Baby Christians, Vic's nodding with a big smile, right? That you're not a baby anymore. You're not a baby anymore, but you know about messes as a baby because you didn't know the Lord and baby Christians come from one life into another. And so Paul writes that church in Corinth and he says, I'm confident. I thank God. Every time I think about you, I'm confident you've got every gift you need to follow the Lord. And then he goes, now let's talk about all the problems. You've got this guy sleeping with his mother-in-law and because he thinks he's free in Christ, he can do whatever he wants. Nah, you guys are arguing with each other over the Lord's Supper. What you're doing is not the Lord's Supper. You're not unified. You're having court cases with each other. You're already defeated. Mess, 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 mess. Okay. Inside of grace, right? So it's happening in every church. It's happening in Antioch. But this is what an encourager does. Anybody can point out what's wrong. It's not hard. If you're mature, you can see it really easy. The more mature you get, the more you see what doesn't live up to God's standards. But the mark of an encourager is not to come alongside and say, hey, first and foremost, let's. An encourager sees the grace of God and celebrates it. An encourager says, you've made a good beginning. You're doing really well. Keep on following Jesus. Stay true to him with all your heart. And they pull you on that path, pull you on that path and encourage you. And you can see. They were so encouraged by him that the church grew. It says, first it says they had the favor of the Lord with them. Then Barnabas shows up and many more come to faith. Here's another thing an encourager does. They build other people up and they celebrate other people's gifts. So Barnabas looks at this growing church and says, I don't have what it takes. I can't lead you all on my own. I need help. And he travels. First of all, he traveled 300 miles from Jerusalem to Antioch. That's 15 days by feet, 20 miles a day. Now he goes a hundred miles to Tarsus. Guys, you, you, like this is love. This is sacrifice. A hundred miles to go get Saul, who, who incidentally, he had been the one that 
took into the, Saul into the church and said, you can believe in this guy. You can believe his conversions are real. Now, he, 10 years later, he comes and gets Saul and he brings him back. And they dedicate a year of their lives, a year, in a strange city with people they didn't know, just so they can build them up. Now, lest we praise Saul and Barnabas, let's turn this around and say this is a reflection of God's love for his church. This is how much God loves a church in Antioch and every church that he would put it on someone's heart and send them to spend that much time building up, strengthening and encouraging a group of people that they didn't know. And the fruit of it is that when more prophets come and do, by the Spirit, predict a famine, which also is God's love, it's the Father saying, hey, children, there's something coming that's going to be kind of harmful. I want you to be aware of it so you can be prepared. Okay? Here's the fruit. This infant church is now turning around and blessing the parents who sent the encouragers. The infant church has taken up an offering and paying to, or sending money with Saul and Barnabas back. So all of a sudden, what could have been an infant church with no leaders, no direction that bless, that blows up. And we've seen a few of those. If we've been around the church is now a church that's maturing, a church that is generous. And if we skip ahead three chapters and we look at Acts 13, we'll say, we'll, we'll see something that happens there. It says, as they were fasting and praying, the spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas and send them, send them off on the work I've called them to. And it says alongside that, now there were prophets and there were teachers in the church in Antioch. How did Antioch get prophets and teachers? Saul and Barnabas raised him up. Saul and Barnabas gave the encouragement. Saul and Barnabas saw the gifts and taught and taught and nurtured and raised him up. So, coming back to where we started with all the pressures that we face, the things that we struggle with, I just want to say again that we have no no less need for encouragement than these brothers and sisters in Antioch's, Antioch do. We need prophets. We need people among us. You just stop to yourself, stop yourself right now and say, first of all, say, Who, who's like this in our, in our congregation? Every congregation needs gifted prophetic encouragers. We, we, these, this is not only what we need to pray for, it's what we need to be and become. And so let me just close by saying these are, and we just listen real close, five marks of an encourager so that we can each pray, Lord, strengthen me in the gift of encouragement or prophecy. They really function like kissing cousins. They're just real, I don't know if that's a good term, but they're, they're real, real close to each other. Okay. Five marks of an encourager. One, they're generous. If you're going to encourage your giving of yourself and of your time and your energy and your attention, and that's generosity. Two, encouragers draw near. So like 
the coach who got up off his seat and got down near Justin at the side of the pool. An encourager is going to notice somebody and they aren't just going to pray for him from afar or wish him well. They're going to get up right near to him. Right near. Encouragers are generous. Encouragers draw near. Encouragers look for good. You've made it 13 laps, Justin. You're doing amazing. Never mind the seven to go. Encouragers look for, they develop spiritual eyesight to be able to see good and call it out. Number four, they cheer it on. It's real, seems real simple, but we all need more of it. We all need somebody saying, I'm proud of you. You've been through a really hard season and you are still praising the Lord. You, you've got your head held high. You've been honest about your pain, but you haven't turned away. You're following, even though you don't understand. I'm proud of you. You're doing really well. They cheer it on. And number five, it's really close to number four. They bring something from God or from God's word that will strengthen and encourage. It's, it's a little bit different, and it's just not just cheerleading. You want to think to yourself, where's God in this, right? Comfort comes when we know I'm not alone. Like, God, you're with me. So often we just aren't aware of his presence with us in the difficulty. So, so we're wanting to say, how do I connect God who is with them? But how do I bring an awareness of God with you? Yeah, well, they're not in a specific order. So yet you're right, Kelly, it should be. But th- that's, that's that because ultimately... I mean, you could say, well, we're kind of like, we're the body of Christ. We're like God with flesh on. Uh, yes, but you need to know God has this. He hasn't left me. He, he's, he cares. He's going to provide. He's going to lead whatever it is. You need to know that. And when you know that, the problem can still persist, right? It's just knowing that. So encouragers look for how can I connect God and this person? And when I think of um, a prime, this is to close, what, what's the best example of encouragement? These five things for me, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus is generous. Jesus draws near. Jesus uh, does not condemn. He looks on so much more sin than we are even aware of and says, I don't come to condemn. I come to give life. I come to give life abundantly. And he is the living word of God. So let's just close in prayer and ask Jesus to develop um, both. Yeah, let's just pray. (laughs) Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are Emmanuel, that you are always with each and every one of us. And Lord, um, that you encourage your church, you encourage your children. Just like you encouraged them in Antioch, you you encourage each of us. And Lord, I pray that you'd strengthen and develop us as encouragers, prophetic people who would generously uh, see and respond to needs in others, even if we're struggling ourselves. Lord, that your church may be built, like the song said, until the earth is filled with your glory. Thank you, Lord. Amen.